to Welcome to the Hollowell Manor. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we are here with Season 1, Episode 5, Dream Sorcerer. Yes. Okay, before we get too into this episode, I kind of want to give a content warning to all of our listeners. Yeah, there's some... There's some real sexual assault in this episode. It's really... Imp- Vibes. It's really implied. Yeah, it's it's implied sexual assault. Um, I don't know how much we're going to get into it here on the podcast, but I will say it was disturbing to me watching the episode. Yeah, it's it's more implied than actually stated, but it's still enough so that if this sort of thing makes you uncomfortable, you might want to give this one a skip. Yeah, definitely. So, interesting thing about this episode. Interesting, non-trigger uh, warning thing. I felt like it was on the verge of being really good, like a really good horror episode. And part of that is because it taps into a lot of genuine real-world horror. Yeah. But it just never comes together. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's got a bunch of good parts that don't really make a solid whole. I was watching it, and it's funny because this isn't an episode that stuck with me if we weren't doing a rewatch where we talk about the episodes. Mm. But as I'm watching it, I thought this should be a great episode. This should be the hush of Charmed. This should be the episode that even if you're not a fan of Charmed, you like, one of your friends makes you watch it. And it's like, no, you have to watch this one. It's really good. Hmm. Why? why, I I guess because Hush is that one episode of Buffy where... Right, right. Yeah. Hush is the episode of Buffy that if you're a Buffy fan and you're talking to someone who's not, you're like, and you're trying to explain to them that, no, this is actually genuinely art. You're like, oh, watch this episode. Not Once More With Feeling, even are though you, it's... Why are, you, why are you kidding me? Don't watch Once More With Feeling as your first episode of Buffy. Too much continuity. It's about continuity. It's about secrets coming out. You don't know any of the secrets if it's your first episode. The episode I used to introduce people to Buffy is Gingerbread. That is an interesting choice because i feel like it gives you the tone of buffy but it's not an episode that has a lot of heavy continuity attached to it like say i mean even hush has the whole government thing with riley Uh like i agree hush is an excellent episode of buffy and it is a good first episode but gingerbread is sort of about buffy introducing joyce to her world okay okay i can see that against her will but yeah Well, but about this episode not coming together. Right, Charmed. It had all of the parts. This one was actually written by Constance M. Burge. And Mm. as we were watching it, there's so much great dialogue. The script is solid. Mm. And so, of course, me, I'm blaming the director. I'm like, oh, it must be Nick Mark. Because he spells his last name M-A-R-C-K. I'm like, oh, it must be the director who's the problem, right? He must be the reason this episode isn't coming together. But then I'm like, well, let me see what else he's done. And... Going back to Buffy. Buffy. Yeah. He directed Something Blue. He directed Fool for Love. Mm. He directed Conversations with Dead People. Also Double Meat Palace. Yes, he also directed Double Meat Palace. But you know what? That's It's the one where Willow has to kill a penis demon by throwing it into a meat grinder. It's the one where the secret ingredient of the meat is meat. Yeah. It's, it's a solid episode. It's just... There's some... There's some not great creature design there. I mean, it seems very, very mean to just blame the actor who plays uh, the villain in this episode, the actor who plays Whitaker Berman, Matt Schultz, but... He's 
kind of the only weak part of the episode. He is really terrible. I mean, surely one bad actor didn't sink the whole episode. Well, his acting kind of reminds me of, you know, before the internet was really a thing, how video stores would have erotic thrillers. Sure. Which were basically just very, 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 very softcore porn. Right, and then sometimes they became like super high end and you get sliver. Yeah, it reminded me of that where it's like sort of the sort of acting one would expect to see in if not porn then a porn adjacent property yeah okay i can see that but everyone it's not helped by the fact that i feel like the rest of the cast is acting harder than is necessary possibly or maybe it is necessary because they have nobody backing them up Mm. so should we get into the episode we should get into The, the episode the episode i know you already said the name of it dream sorcerer But you had some fun extra uh, stuff about it. Well, I just had to say that the French title is so much better. The French title is Man of My Dreams. Which should have been the English title. It's a better title and it works with both plot lines. Yeah. I love titles that work with both plot lines. You said Constance M. Burge wrote this episode? Yes. Prue is the main character of this episode. Do you think Constance M. Burge was just pushing Prue as the main character of the show? I mean... Yeah, that makes sense. I want to see if that tracks through other episodes. Let's start keeping track of that, yeah. Because Prue stops getting serious plot lines around the time that Constance and Burge exits. Yeah, although, I mean, you have to wonder how much of that was Constance and Burge wasn't pushing for her anymore and how much of that was Shannon Doherty separately being pushed out. Yeah, there's a lot of factors in play. There are a lot of personalities in this particular stew pot yes so this episode opens at quake as we have been for a while now yeah and it starts with phoebe being aggressively hit on by finance bros i want to say finance bros there's no evidence of that i mean other than their terrible terrible pickup lines okay these are like the joke fake pickup lines you see in like bad comedies okay one of the pickup lines is were your parents terrorists because you're the bomb she kind of just dodges the guy who says that and his buddy pulls up and he's like hey did it hurt and she's like did what hurt and i'm like really phoebe why are you walking in she lived in new york you lived in new york but maybe people in new york don't use cheesy pickup lines they probably just do what's your sign which i feel like isn't a thing anymore Okay, it absolutely is still a thing. Also, I think it might work on Phoebe more than other people. Oh, yeah. What's your sign would be the way to go here? Not, did it hurt when you fell from heaven? Because you're an angel. And she should be like, well, if I'm an angel, then you're going to go to hell if you try to fuck me, right? Also, I probably don't have genitals if I'm an angel. Also, Also, I'm not shaped like a wheel with many eyes. Yeah, I, I, I would be a wheel that's on fire and covered in eyes and wings, so... What are, you, what are you doing here? Actually, what she does do is lean in and whisper, I'm not an angel, I'm a witch. But don't tell my sisters I told you. Which is an amazing way to respond to pickup lines. But I want to note here that Phoebe has done nothing except walk in the door. And these men are flocking to her. And I just want to keep that... I mean, these aren't... Obviously, she doesn't have to go with these guys. But keep this in mind for later on in this episode. 90s Alyssa Milano current Alyssa Milano would have no trouble attracting men. Right, exactly. 
I'm surprised they let her go after she had that, you know, I'm not an angel, I'm a witch, and then she just kind of goes by them. Because they were really uncomfortably getting in her way. I mean, yeah, they were being very aggressive, but I don't know, maybe it was her saying her sisters, because her sisters are sitting there, and she goes to join them. I think the fact that Phoebe has backup Mm. intimidates them. By the way, just fun, weird note, the sisters sitting at the restaurant are wearing the dresses that the three of them wear in the promotional art that's on the cover of the season one DVD. Huh. Yeah, just just randomly. <laughs> like, they probably shot the promotional pictures the same day that they shot this episode. I could see that. Lots of, uh, we could play your favorite Buffy game, What what is the weather? Because everyone else in this restaurant seems to be various degrees of dressed. Yeah, everyone else is pretty bundled up for like a chilly San Francisco night. But these girls are not, but they're witches, so. I I mean, one of the guys was wearing a turtleneck sweater and then a suit coat over the turtleneck sweater. Oh, it's a look. I'm like, how hot is this restaurant? They're all wearing some, like, spaghetti straps. Yeah. Uh, As is a woman who is basically having very mild sex with her boyfriend in the middle of the restaurant. Yeah, yes. When Phoebe joins her sisters, Prue tells her that the two of them have been making out with each other for the last hour. And they're like, full on heavy petting. Yeah. So while they were waiting for Phoebe to show up, they were just watching this couple procreate in the middle of the restaurant. Uh, Here's an interesting thing. Mm -hmm. Just a thing that only just now occurred to me. Prue says they've been going at it for at least an hour. How late is Phoebe? <laughs> How late is Phoebe to dinner? Also, why is Piper having dinner in her own restaurant? Well, that makes sense to me. I don't know. I feel like, I don't know, it would be like being a forest ranger and then on your day off going into the woods to have picnics. Well, I mean, it's convenient. She probably gets a discount. Mm. Everyone knows them. Yeah, including the waitress, who is their friend and blonde, which has historically not gone well for women in this show. Yeah, she comes over and she brings a drink to Prue. She says that the guy over in the corner sent it over to her. And, oh my god, this guy. I mean, he's handsome, I guess. Okay, no, he looks creepy. And, yes, he looks... He's creepy handsome, you know? Like, he looks like a serial killer. And when he leans over and, like, makes eye contact with Prue after she gets the drink, he does, like, a lip bite. Don't, don't, don't do that. He looks kind of like, uh, I want to say Josh Duhamel. Is that who I'm thinking of? The guy who isn't that, like... Yeah, yeah, that is who you're thinking of. Yeah, he has a kind of Josh Duhamel thing to him. He's handsome, but not in a good-looking way, if that makes sense. Yes, that is exactly the way to describe him. Prue tells the waitress, whose name is Skye, to send the drink back and tell him that she has seen someone, which makes Prue's sister super excited because, oh, does this mean that Prue's actually gonna make an honest man out of Andy? Oh, good. Does it mean that we're finally going to get subplots about Prue that aren't just her redefining her relationship with Andy? No, it doesn't mean that. So Skye brings the drink back to the man, Whitaker, mm. and she says, yeah, she's dating someone else. And he doesn't believe that. He's like, whatever. Sure she is. Because Would- he's in a wheelchair. Well, here's the thing. His reaction definitely seems to imply that he thinks that the fact that he's in the wheelchair is the issue. But 
we definitely could not see that he was in a wheelchair from Prue's vantage point. Because he's sitting at a table. And even now, like the third time I watched the episode to prepare, I could tell that he was in a wheelchair in this scene. But he still backs up halfway through the scene. And the first time I watched this through, I didn't realize he was in a wheelchair until he did the like halfway back up thing. Which I'm sure is why the director had him do that. Yeah, but... The waitress, Skye, does notice that he's in a wheelchair. There's a very significant thing where she looks down and then looks back up. But her reasons for not, you know, responding to him hitting on her are fairly solid. She's like, I'm sorry, I can't date customers and already I ha- and also I already have a boyfriend. Also, like... Don't hit on people who are at work. Well, yes, that. But also, it's not flattering with, oh... When it's, oh, the girl that I actually wanted to go out with said, no, hey, do you want to go out with me? Yeah, that too. Yeah, this guy has no business being insulted that this girl didn't want to be his second choice. And he is, he's, he's super, he's obviously super, super insulted. And, you know, spoiler for this episode, but a guy who doesn't take rejection well is a gigantic red flag. Mm-hmm. I guess it's not really a spoiler because we're going to that scene now. Yes. So, Skye is in her apartment. I'm not aggressively familiar with San Francisco, but is it really an apartment building town? I mean, surely there are apartments in San Francisco. There have to be. I guess. I mean, I don't really think of it as a big building. I think of it as a, you know, because they've got those tall, thin houses. Yeah, well, I mean, Portland the city I do know, Mm. is mostly craftsman houses, and that's what we're known for, but we still have lots and lots of apartment buildings. That no one lives in because they're too expensive. Oh, don't get me started on housing in Portland, but yes. I mean, San Francisco is also a really expensive city to live in. Is she making enough money as a waitress to afford this place? I don't want to get into friends territory here. I mean, we don't know her situation. She could have 10 roommates. That's true, and... uh, how fancy a restaurant do you think Quake is? Oh, yeah, that's the other thing. Quake is a very fancy restaurant. So actually, she probably makes pretty decent money in tips. Yeah. She probably does okay. Yeah. Yeah, my dad knew some career waiters who, like, made serious bucks. They had to, they worked in New York City, but they lived outside of the city. Mm-hmm. And they'd go down and you can make a lot of money as a professional waiter if you're... Yeah, Quake is the kind of restaurant you work at if you're a professional waiter. It's it's high end. But... She's getting to bed kind of late. Well, she she's a waitress. She's working the night shift. She's going to bed at 1.05. We know because the camera zooms in on the clock. And then we see it fade to 2.30 so that we know that she's asleep and time has passed. And, okay, this is the scene that really disturbed me watching it. Yeah, the guy from the restaurant, Whitaker, is sitting on her bed. And he's got black gloves on, and he he covers her mouth, and then he pulls her out of the bed, and she's struggling against him, and suddenly, like, as soon as he pulls her up, they're on a rooftop, and she's wearing a dress with a long, flowy scarf, and this whole thing feels very erotic thrillery. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird because it's, he's dancing with her, but it's dancing standing in for sexual assault. It's very uncomfortable he tells her that he's in her dream and that he controls her dream honestly the camera work here is really good it, it does feel like it's pulling from a very specific sh- 
subgenre of movie. Well, and I think you're right to talk about erotic thrillers because they're definitely taking their cues from that. And they're doing a lot of, like, crossfades. And, you know, there's a lot of fog. There's really deep fantasy red lighting. It's visually interesting. And, yeah, definitely 90s. Yeah. Horror it's, thriller. It's the 90s. You can't get porn on the internet yet. Yes, essentially. So he takes her to the edge of the building and he tells her that because she rejected him, he's going to kill her, which is just too real charmed. Too real. Yeah, it's... It's pretty messed up. He throws her off the edge of the roof. He's like, you know that when you die in your dreams, you die in real life. Also, he's been echoing the things she's about to say right before, like, right as she says them. Because Because he's in her head. Yeah. You know what's not too real, though? What? The green screen effect as she falls off the roof. Yeah, that, this, speaking of, well, I guess more the 80s, it's got a real 80s vibe to it, you know. Uh, I'm Red Foreman in that movie with the robot cop. Robocop? Yes. Yeah. I mean, you're right. This, the CGI in this particular sequence was already worse than stuff that came out 20 years earlier. Yeah, she's doing that whole, uh, I'm lying on a green screen and moving my arms around. Yeah. Like, they, they, they wouldn't, they didn't even bother to put her in a harness. Yeah. (laughs) They just had her lie on a chair that they green screened out. So we cut from that to... A peaceful morning where no one has been murdered horribly in their dreams. Also, how, how is he finding these women dream-wise? Is that, uh, uh, we'll get into it when that we find out. That is never how... addressed. Yeah. That is a great question. A lot of women live in San Francisco. He, he even... He, I, Presumably I, he's not limited to San Francisco, too. Yeah. I mean, I guess the dream machines let him find whoever he... That... You know what? Like, let's not untangle that thread because I see no way he could possibly be finding specific women the way he is. That. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just let's just leave that be. So Sky has been horribly crushed in her bed, but not in a way that leaves her any less pretty. It's one of those. Everything's internal. Yeah. No, Andy and Daryl are there because she's dead and she's. She looks like a jumper. She looks like she fell off a 20-story building. But only inside. The outside looks perfectly fine. Yeah, she should at least be bruised or something. Yeah. Daryl's like, they said that she's got a whole bunch of internal trauma, but outside she's, you know, perfectly fine because we're not going to put makeup on this actress. Yeah. And, boy, Andy stopped acting really soon into the series. It's weird. He's being so wooden in all of his delivery of his lines. This is the Andy I remembered. I was so thrown the first few episodes when I'm like, I remembered Andy being this, like, wooden actor, but he's so engaging, but... He's just so checked out. And between that and the terrible acting of Matt Schultz, who plays Whitaker, I was like, oh... Clearly, the fault is with Nick Mark, but as I mentioned, we saw him direct great things, so I don't know. And honestly, the interplay between the sisters in this episode is really good. Well, yeah, and I was ready to credit all of that to Constance and Burge's writings, but that wouldn't be fair. So, yeah, this is, speaking of good interplay between the sisters, the next scene we see Piper at the manor working out to a workout video, and, okay, no, no, okay? She's like, oh! Why am I not as pretty as the girl on the tape? And first of all, she says, I've been working two weeks. It takes at least 90 days to see results. Secondly, 
You look like Holly Marie Combs. Calm down. You are 90s Holly Marie Combs. You are very, very attractive. I mean, she's not as ripped as the woman in the workout video. Maybe that's what she's... She's like, I want to have really big... She wants Britney Spears' arms. Mm. Wait, it, this is the right time period to want Britney Spears' arms. Yeah. Which is why it's weird that Prue's like... Prue's like... Prue's like, yeah, well, you don't have the other thing she has, which is $20,000 for plastic surgery. And I'm like, you don't get... I mean, she's got... The woman in the video's got biceps and... Piper doesn't have biceps because she's doing aerobics. Well, I mean, she was doing she was doing arm movements with weights in her hands. Yeah. But also, the ability to get that kind of muscle definition, especially especially as a woman, to some extent, is just genetic. Mm. Like, generally, women don't build show muscles as easily as men do. So. I'm sure the woman who is in this fitness video works very, very hard, but also at some level, she's just also genetically gifted. Yeah. I had a friend back in college who had, like, naturally perfect abs and he never worked out. And I was like... How dare he? How dare you? Phoebe comes into the room so they can all start talking about romance. Yeah, and how they all want men. And Piper starts talking about how she wants, like, romance and a guy to sweep her off her feet feet okay so she starts off she's like it might not be pc but i want a guy i can have long talks with in front of a fireplace and who will go on sunday morning bike rides with me and i'm like what's not pc about that i want a partner who has shared interests and who i can talk to i mean i think the thing that's not pc is that it sounds like she wants to live in a hallmark movie Mm. also no offense piper but I think you would be really pissed off if someone tried to take you on a bike ride on a Sunday morning. Right? Well, I mean, that just really made me think of Chidi in The Good Place when he was in the rowboat reading the French poetry, and he's like, this is more of a fantasy thing. I don't actually know how to drive a rowboat. <laughs> yeah, so she she wants schmoopy romance stuff, whereas Alyssa Milano wants to go out and bang a bunch of dudes. Yeah. Okay, here's the thing that I was hinting at when we started this episode. If all Phoebe wants to do is go out and bang a bunch of dudes, I've got some good news for her, which is that she looks like late 90s Alyssa Milano. And, like, literally all she has to do is walk into a bar and pick a guy out. And Prue is like, wow, I'm really glad that I have Andy and I don't have to think about men. And she walks out the door. Burn on Andy. It is kind of a burn on Andy. <laughs> Oof. I, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm still stuck on Phoebe. Like, I don't want to imply that it's easy because it's not. Because, honestly, the thing that's hardest when you look like 90s Alyssa Milano is that there's a lot of creepy, scary guys out there, like Whitaker. So... If only she could see the future somehow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> God damn it, Phoebe. Just go bang to your heart's content. You know, I don't think Phoebe has a single premonition this episode. You are correct. She does not. Which is kind of a premonition for the end of this podcast. Mm. Well, last episode, her powers were working better than they ever have and ever will. Yeah, she must have tired them out. So speaking of Andy, uh, Andy thinks that Skye was murdered because you don't suddenly have all of your internal organs smooshed out of nowhere i mean yeah right and daryl's like 
uh, but she was found in her bed, and Andy's like, maybe someone threw her off a building and then put her in bed. But no, the doors were all locked. And Andy has found other cases of other women who all died in the same way. It looked like they were jumpers, but they were in their bedrooms with the doors locked from the inside. It's literally a locked room mystery. Except Mm. not to us, because we know who did it. Yes. And he's like, it's not a suicide, because how do you do that to yourself? And it's not natural causes, because your organs don't just decide to go kerput. Yeah, there's nothing natural about what happened. There's no natural explanation. And Daryl's like, oh, God, it's murder. I hate murder. Which, maybe don't Maybe you're in the wrong job. line of work. Yeah. Back at Quake. Okay, I was going to have issues with this, but then it does get explained. Okay, go ahead. Piper is bringing a businessman his lunch, which should not be her job as head chef of this restaurant. Well, Sky is out. Yes, I was ready to be mad about that, but she says that she's doing it because Sky's out. Right, of course. Now, they want to establish how boring this particular man is. So the meal that she's bringing him is white rice, steamed broccoli, and chicken well done. Which, okay, first of all, chicken is either done or you're dead. There's no (laughs) such thing as chicken well done. It's burned chicken. (laughs) Right? It's dry, tasteless chicken. I'm just saying, this isn't a guy who I feel like has a lot of hungers this isn't a guy that i would particularly want to have sex with just as a note for later his hair is hair colored his eyes are eye colored yeah he also looks weirdly like roger from the first episode prue's ex-fiance oh i guess he kind of does but you know in the 90s guys kind of all looked the same he does have you know generic sims guy hair yes yes he looks like a yeah he looks like a generically handsome like, like somebody got him from the generic handsome guy warehouse. Hmm. So Phoebe has come to the restaurant to tell Piper, hey, I found a magic spell waitstaff in the kitchen. A magic spell that will help us find dudes to have sex at. And Piper's like, I don't know. I'm looking for love. And I feel like you can't really get love through magic. And Phoebe's like, who's talking about love? We're, we're in our 20s. Boinking. This is a boinking-based spell. Also, they have a weird way to get around the personal gain. Yeah. I I don't love personal gain as a... No, I don't either. Because it really feels like it's just there to inhibit the things they can do that they're going to do anyway. And... Yeah, it's basically kryptonite. It's, oh, we made this person too powerful. We have to find a way to undo that somehow. If they could just do magic all the time... A lot of the show doesn't happen, so it has to be, oh, but they can't use it for themselves. Which, you know how you could have very easily got around that? Spells need certain phases of the moon, times of the year, hard to find ingredients. Right? I would have liked that a lot more, especially because the personal gain rule is so iffy. Like, what is personal gain? Like, there's a plot later where Prue is trying to help a ghost solve his own murder and she can't use magic because it's somehow personal gain to help someone else out with their problem. Because she wants to help him? It's personal gain? Yeah. Well, and here they they decide, oh, well, it's not personal gain because this is a good, non-dangerous spell to help them learn magic, which they need to do to fight the forces of evil. Also, they're going to be helping the guys, too. The guys that they're going to have sex with, which, I mean, I, I guess, yes. 
but... I mean, I'm really good at rationalizing things. And even I am like, okay, come on. At first, I was kind of uncomfortable with the consent of this spell. But when we get to the first guy that Alyssa Milano picks up, I feel like it sort of smooths over a lot of those... uh... I was going to talk about that kind of as it unfolded. um, Because I actually started off not comfortable with the consent issues that come up with casting a love spell. Mm Mm-hmm. Then I changed my mind and thought, oh, the way this spell is explained, I feel like there are not consent issues. And then I came back around and was like, oh, wait, no, that is not the way they explain the spell. The effects that we are seeing definitely raise consent issues. I actually thought it was kind of weird Mm -hmm. that we have this dream sorcerer who is not actually sexually assaulting women Mm. he's doing things that are clearly stand-ins for sexual assault it's clearly shot as though it's assault and it definitely affected me like it was sexual assault but also we have this comedic storyline where these girls are definitely violating these guys consent yeah yeah it's a weird juxtaposition if it was done on purpose i would say it was genius but I don't feel like it was done on purpose. It's the kind of weird thing you get, like, in Harry Potter, how it's a dramatic start of darkness thing that Voldemort's mother used a love spell to ensnare the guy who, you know, got her pregnant with Voldemort. Right. But it's kind of juxtaposed with the comedic scenes of, like, oh, Fred and George sell love potions at their joke shop, which underage kids buy and use on each other habitually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. It's like, huh, maybe maybe love potions are a bad thing that shouldn't be. Yeah. I mean, in actual Wicca, if you read all of the books that I'm sure Constance M. Burge as a, as a Wiccan was reading, um, they're pretty clear that no, love spells are not okay. They are, they are dark magic that will, you know, bring harm back onto you if you cast them because they violate people's consent. Hmm. So... Piper and Phoebe are doing this spell because they think that Prue is out of the house. But, uh-oh, her date with Andy got cut short, probably because of murder. Definitely because of murder. They try to cover up what they're talking about. Phoebe comes into the kitchen, carrying the Book of Shadows, and saying, Oh, we need black pepper, not cayenne pepper. And then she's like, For the recipe! For food, not spells! Holding the Book of Shadows. Like anyone would believe Phoebe was cooking. Oof. So, But they don't have time for this storyline to have Prue interfere. Yeah, it's kind of fun that Piper and Phoebe are like trying to justify it, and Prue's like, you know what, I don't have time to worry about this. <laughs> Prue's like, okay, that sounds good to me, whatever. Justify away. Prue's weird D subplot is that she's working too hard? Yeah. Well, I think that that weird D subplot was just given to give a reason that she was so exhausted this story doesn't work if she has the energy to stay up for 12 hours straight. The story also doesn't work if she's not falling asleep in locations where she can easily be woken up by happenstance. Yes, that's true. Like, if she was getting regular sleep, then... She'd be dead. Yeah. So, 
the uh so phoebe and piper run upstairs to go do their love spell the conversation that they have about their love spell where they are both reading off their lists of what they're looking for in a man is super adorable and has some fun wordplay with the words employed and endowed it's a very cute scene because they they need to write down all of the things that they want out of the men that they're looking for phoebe yoinks piper's list and she starts reading it and then piper's like turnabout's fair play and she starts reading phoebe's list and phoebe grabs it back and then starts reading her own list in this like super dramatic uh romance novelist sort of way yeah and it's a really cute scene and the actresses have really good sister chemistry yes well if that's a thing yeah i thought you were making uh, yes i was going to point out the unintentional pun about chemistry as they yeah cook their potion which also i wish that charmed had more of this kind of practical magic in it the fact that they are doing it around a cauldron they've got the candles they burn up the papers in the cauldron like it's a whole thing yeah later in the show it's all going to be rhyming couplets it is nice to see this more involved magical process yes and phoebe talks about how uh they're lucky they're women because if they were men, the spell would involve keeping a thing of honey cake under your armpit for three days. Gross. That's disgusting. Well, it kind of reminds me of the bit in Buffy where Willow's talking about giving up magic. And she's like, well, there's some things I'm not going to miss. Like having to keep raw goat cheese in my bra. And it's like, didn't didn't really mention that at any point ever, Willow. Yeah, she doesn't talk about that. She just does it. Y- you'd think people around her would notice so uh just a quick kit watch here mm, yes kit watch 2019 kit is in the room when they're casting the spell and she'll come into the plot briefly later is this relevant to what we see later i don't know but it might be it's true it might be huh yeah just kit drop her little list into the uh i mean maybe she was just thinking it really hard but the sisters complete the spell and the phone rings, so they both run downstairs, hoping that it's their dream man. Mm. But it is not. It's Prue's dream man, so to speak. Yes, it is the dream sorcerer. And he's like, hey, it's me, that guy who you rejected at the restaurant. I wanted to see if you were interested in having sex. And Prue doesn't say the thing I would ask, which was, how did you get my number? She does say that, and then he hangs up on her. Oh. Yeah, which, how did he get her number? I don't know how he got her number. I mean, I mean, how does he find people in dreams? Yeah. How would he know her name, even? Um, I can see Sky saying her name before. Ugh. Yeah. The question is, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I have the answer to both of these questions now. Not how he finds people, but how he got the number and how he knew her name. We specifically know that he's inside Skye's head when he's in her dream, so he knows what Skye knows. Uh, so he knows her name and he knows her number because it's not a cell phone because it's still the 90s. It's the landline at the manor. Yeah, and Skye would know it because Piper's her boss. Yes. And it's the 90s. So you still have numbers memorized. Yes. God, his thing would be so much harder to do these days. Right? Nobody knows anybody's number. Let's see. If you got into my head, he could call uh, my mom or my home from the 90s he could call my mom my ex-husband or my childhood home yes but here's the real question mm-hmm. not where did he get the number because we figured that out yes did he expect this to work yeah what, what what was the what was the plan here oh hey 
hey, Prue, uh, you want to have sex with me? The guy you rejected earlier out of hand in context. Yeah. Like, I know you already rejected me once, but if I do something creepy, that that raises my value, right? Do you think it's bizarre that he killed Skye before he killed her? Like, I guess he's not doing it in any particular order, but... I don't know. I mean, I guess so. We needed that because we, the audience, needed to see that happen before Prue was threatened. And obviously they're not going to kill Prue. I mean, that would be ridiculous. Gonna live forever. Yep. She's just three days away from retirement. I mean, from a story structure point, it makes sense that he kills Sky first. But yeah, you're right. It's kind of strange that he... And she wasn't even his first choice. I mean, maybe he still thought he could wear down Prue. I don't really understand how his brain works. Yeah. But Pipe... They're, they're not giving him enough scenes to establish this. They know he's not a great actress. Actor. So Phoebe decides she's going to leave. She's going to go out and go to Quake and see if the spell worked and her dream man just stumbles upon her. Yeah, and she asked Piper if Piper wants to come and Piper's like, eh. Piper is kind of a doubting Thomas about magic this episode for no reason. Well, also I think she just feels kind of beat. I mean, remember, Piper's got a real job. That is true. Piper has a real job. And I think she assumes if the spell worked, the dream man will come to her. True. Yeah. Which it should. The way the spell gets sort of established a little bit later in the episode is that it will just move pieces around in the universe so you'll encounter someone who has the qualities that you're looking for. Right. Which is good. It's It kind of sidesteps the consent thing by being like, no, the universe is just putting you on a path. Yeah, it seems like the universe just put you on the path you needed to be on to encounter the person who was your soulmate. Yeah, or, or fun sex buddy. Right. Your your nightmate. Yes. But it, they kind of swerve on they swerve on that later. Yeah, later it turns into that Buffy episode. Bewitched, bewildered and bothered, I think. Ugh. 3 B words like that. At least that episode, they know that Xander is the villain. Yes, Xander is explicitly the bad guy in that episode. And he almost gets killed by vampires and other people because Good. of it. Yeah. So Prue has decided that since she's had a very long day, she's going to relax by setting up a bunch of candles around a bathtub and then taking a bath. Uh, yeah, she has, for somebody who's exhausted and just wants to take a hot bath, she's gone to a lot of work. It's like a bubble bath and all of these lit candles. It's like a whole thing. Yeah. Have you ever done that? I, I am someone who does enjoy the occasional bath. I have done that, but it was like, it wasn't because I was so exhausted. It's because I wanted something like nice and only ever one candle at a time. Yeah. She's got a lot of candles lit. I was going to say, uh, I guess it would be less of a thing if she was using her powers to do it, but... That's not what's happening though. Yeah. So Prue is... In the bathtub when she falls asleep, which, I mean, that's and, how you die, Prue. Yeah, she actually has a tub you can die if you fall asleep in. I mean, most of us don't. Most of us have those shallow American tubs. Okay, that the house I grew up in. Well, you grew up in... I grew up in New England. Yeah. And we had this super, super deep clawfoot tub. <sighs> that's what I want. I know. I was... I. You know what? I, we, we should buy one of those because... Gotta say, if you've never taken a bath in a super deep clawfoot tub, super worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm in favor of buying one of those. But no, most people don't have that. But that is what Prue has. And so, yeah, she falls asleep in the tub and really could have drowned. 
And uh, as you said when we were watching this episode, it would be so embarrassing to lose the power of three because Prue fell asleep in the tub. Yeah. So the dream sorcerer is here to kill her in her dreams because she rejected him. And he's got really good timing if you think about everything that's required for dream sorcering. Right? Yeah. He was he was set up to do the dream jumping when she fell asleep in the tub, which we have to assume is pretty early in the night. It's probably like eight o'clock. Yeah. So Prue starts repeating a mantra her mom taught her, which is, you're not real, you don't exist, demons be gone. Which is what her mom told her to say if she had any nightmares when she was a child, which seems like a really irresponsible thing for Patty to teach her, considering that there were real demons that were probably going to try to kill her. Well, you know what I was thinking? What? I was thinking, what if this is like a really, really basic banishment spell? For, like, low-level demons. Oh, okay, I really like that idea. Yeah, okay, I I want to assume that's what it is. Because, I mean, it doesn't sound great, but also we didn't say what the uh, spell was to summon guys, which was... I am the I am the queen, you are the bee. Yeah, like, come to me, come to me, I am the queen, you are the bee. Yeah. So, I wouldn't put it past this line of witches to have, you know you're not real go away be a spell sure that could absolutely be a spell so this sequence is even creepier because prue is naked because she's in the tub although weirdly she has like a towel wrapped around her in the tub as one does yeah he whitaker says to her that he's going to love her to death then she realizes that she can't move he tells her that's because he controls the dream and he rubs her back with the loofah but like draws blood doing it yeah which by bitter loofahs prue i mean i know it's a dream thing it's 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 his version of the freddy krueger claw and it does actually when he's when he's done they do actually look like claw scratches yeah then he shoves her into the tub to to drown her but he's interrupted when Piper knocks on the door and is like, Prue, you're not drowning in there, are you? Like our mom. Remember our mom drowned? Oh, right. Right. I forgot that their mom drowned. Oh. And Prue is later in the show, but not right now, going to have a fear of drowning because of what happened to their mom. This actually would have been a good episode to establish that, but... Uh, especially because he was in her head, so he knew that. Yeah. Ooh. But Piper just bursts in, which I don't have siblings, but... Do, do siblings just burst in on you when you're she in the bathroom? She was, like, thrashing around. I guess, yeah. Yeah. Piper's like, are you okay? And Prue's like, yeah, I just, I, I fell asleep and I was having a dream that that guy from the restaurant was trying to drown me. And Piper's like, huh, weird. Well, bye. Actually, I, I really like Shannon Doherty's acting here. She's playing it not like she had a nightmare, but she's playing it like she just got back from an attack and that she doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah. She gets out of the tub and she looks in the mirror and she sees that the scratches down her back from the dream are there in reality. Because Nightmare on Elm Street. Exactly. Dream rules. If you get scratched in a dream, you get scratched in real life. Mm Mm-hmm. So, in the next scene, Piper's being a real doubting Thomas for some reason. It's so weird. Piper's like, it was just a dream. Dreams aren't real, unlike witches and warlocks and demons and all the other stuff we've been dealing with yeah like why why the doubt all of the sudden piper also apparently the marks on her back disappeared after a while so she can't just show them to piper Mm. she tells piper that they were there but now they've disappeared 
And Piper thinks it's just because she's working too much, which, again, is just a plot that's in here, so we understand why Prue can't stay awake for 12 goddamn minutes. Yeah, so she thinks it's just because Prue is exhausted from all the work she's doing at the auction house. And then Piper says the thing I hate most in these shows when this kind of thing comes up, which is, I believe that you believe that it happened. Ugh. That's like, I'm sorry if you're offended. And it is. Yes. Yes, it is. And Piper's like, are you sure you didn't just imagine this dream guy and imagine the marks on your back? And Prue's like, no, we like shapeshifters, ghosts. Yeah. Well, and then, and then Piper asks her, well, then why didn't you use your powers to save yourself? And it's like, that's not how dream logic works, Piper. Okay. You know what I thought about here, which it definitely isn't. What's that? I was wondering if this guided Prue's secondary power. Because, remember, she develops astral projection later. Yeah. And her dream self can exist as an independent entity. Oh, the trauma of this experience. Oh, that's an interesting thought. Ooh, I like that. Which, I'm sure it didn't, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure that's a coincidence. Just like the drowning thing is probably a coincidence. Although maybe not, because Constance and Burge did write this episode. Yeah, and she she did most of the early mythology stuff. Right, so she would have known that, she would have already known at this point that the girl's mother died by drowning. Piper inherits that fear after Prue dies. I mean, she could have always had it and just didn't bring it up. Yeah, because Prue had it worse. Yeah. Or, like, she thought it would be redundant. Yeah, like, okay, well, we're already not going to the beach because of Prue. I don't need to bring up my crippling fear of the water. Yeah. Yeah. So their conversation about attempted dream murder is interrupted by a very buff shirtless guy wandering through uh, the kitchen. Yeah, yeah, he goes into the kitchen and he, he pulls a bottle of milk out of the fridge and, like, it's all Diet Coke commercial in here. Yeah, he like downs that bottle of milk and they're all like, oh my. Milk, it does a body good. Right? He does look like the end of those milk commercials from the 90s. Yeah. And then Phoebe comes running into the room and it's like, here's your shirt that you forgot. And oh my God, you're so pretty. And he's like, did you find it in the hammock? And she's like, does it matter where I found it? And then he, we forgot to mention one of the things Phoebe was looking for. She was looking for a very hot guy who would have lots of very hot sex with her and also recycle. Yeah. And, uh, you know, after she's done talking about their hammock sex, he walks over, picks up the thing of milk that he drank, and drops it in the recycling bin. Yeah, yeah. Wish cycling. Do you know what wish cycling is? Uh, It's when you're uh, recycling something that isn't actually supposed to be recycled so you're just creating different garbage yeah okay so most of the things that you recycle Mm -hmm. don't get recycled because they're contaminated in some way by something that's not actually recyclable um and in this case it's all of the milk that's left in the milk bottle because he didn't wash it out Mm. it seems very performative him recycling I know, but I mean, that's performative for our benefit, not... Yes, not for... In the narrative, he is a guy who enjoys recycling. Yeah. Or just does it. I'm not sure if enjoys is what you... I mean, he seems to enjoy it. He was smiling a lot when he was doing it. Phoebe is smiling a lot, too. She is very... I'm so happy for her. She's so excited all the great safe sex she had. It's great. She's like, don't worry, we had safe sex. Lots and lots and lots of safe sex. And Piper's like, you're my sister 
stop. <laughs> oh. so, so it's time for our five minutes with super, super boring Andy. Yeah, Andy and Daryl are looking at the cases of all the other women who had murders similar to Skye's. And Andy wants to talk to Whitaker because he's... Oh. He, he was dating the first victim. The, yes. The first woman who got smooshed flat. And he's a dream scientist who's doing science about entering people's dreams. Okay, he doesn't know that yet, which is a big mistake in my opinion. He definitely should... If he knew that already, this episode would be a lot shorter. Mm. Yeah. But we go back to Quake, where Phoebe is still trying to tell Piper about all the sex she had. And she's like, our magic spell worked and now dudes are boning me all over the place. And Piper's like... You didn't need to shout either of those things in the middle of my restaurant. Seriously. Is this a 90s thing that uh, Phoebe has like a faux oh, cheetah? Oh, Phoebe's top is very 90s. It's a, it's a sweater. It's a it's a, a thin machine knit sweater with a faux leopard fur collar. And it's got like a zipper halfway down the front. It's, it's definitely something you would have bought at the Limited 2 in 1994. Cordelia, you're like a big cat. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where Phoebe mentions that Hans, Hans is the guy's name. God. Oh, Phoebe, if only someone loved you. Oh. Yeah. Phoebe mentions that Hans never goes to bars. The only reason he was in there was because his motorcycle broke down and he came in to use the phone. So that definitely goes towards the, it just puts people on the right path. Yeah, like the, the universe was like, okay, this is a guy who has all of the things Phoebe is looking for, so we're going to move the pieces so that the two of them meet and have lots of sex in the room where she grew up. I mean, when you live in the house you grew up in, that just happens. Yeah. Plus, they didn't have sex there. They had it in the hammock. <laughs> what hammock, hammock is this? <laughs> there must be a hammock in the backyard that we never see. I get. That's true. I don't think we ever see the backyard of the Hollow Manor. Yeah, we see the patio, but not the backyard. Huh. Piper is mildly amused by the anecdote, and she's like, look, Phoebe, that's cute and all, but are you sure that's the spell and not just the fact that you're both two very attractive people who were in the same area at around the same time, and also were in San Francisco in the 90s, of course he recycles? I mean, Piper is being unnecessarily doubtful of things in this episode, but she makes a strong point. He has some 90s-ass pants, too. He's, like, wearing a white shirt tucked into these kind of... They're very light-washed jeans. Yes. So Piper brings the boring meal to the same boring customer, whose name is Jack, by the way. Oh, and, wow. The most boring name. Right. And, but this time, he takes off his glasses so that she can see how generically handsome he is and is like, you know what? I think I want to know you. His hair, it it's doing the weird kind of too horns thing i i don't know what you call that when it kind of it has the antenna yeah no i i i feel like he kind of looks like dean kane's hair from uh, from lewis and from uh from lois and clark oh he's so unfortunate dean kane yeah i know uh. so he asks piper if he can have dinner with her and she freaks out and decides she has to call prue and talk about this development and when she goes to make the call some other business dude comes up to her and is like hey Instead of going to dinner with that loser, you should fly to Paris with me tonight. Turns out that Piper was way too generic, and lots of guys like having conversations in front of fireplaces and going on Sunday morning bike rides. Well, this is when I started to come back around on the consent again, because I was like, oh, wait, I guess 
it is just making guys be infatuated. Yeah, which seems like a different thing from what it did for Phoebe, except for what happens later in the episode with Han, so... Mm. Yeah, I get, the magic here's a little confused. Yeah. So, meanwhile, at work, Prue is busy working at work. Yep, she's cataloging all of the important antiquities that she catalogs for at the auction house, for the auction that the auction house is holding. Yes. And in comes Rex... Her boss. Rex, her boss, and definitely not the big bad for the first part of the first season. Probably not. Wearing a Knives Out sweater and giving her more work. Yeah, yeah, he's wearing the sweater that Chris Evans wears in Knives Out, except not as unravelly. Yes, it does not look as good on him as that sweater looks on Chris Evans. Well, I think that has to do with who's underneath it. Yes. Uh, I saw a thing where someone's like, uh, I went to uh, Knives Out in Knives Out cosplay because everyone in their group was wearing sweaters. And uh-huh. I was like, that's a cute idea. That is cute. I would do that. So back at the manor, Phoebe and Piper have changed into their little black dresses, and they're getting ready for their dates. Piper has decided to go out with Jack because essentially he stayed there all through lunch, and they just chatted through her entire shift, and she's really into it. And of course, Phoebe's super into built recycling Hans. But Piper's clearly got some reservations still. Phoebe's like, this is so great. And Piper's like, yeah, great. And then, you know, she looks sadly off to the side as Phoebe runs off to have more sex with the guy who's built like a shit brick house. Brick shit house? I said what I said. Also, brick shit house would be a good name for a uh, bad guy in an 80s frat movie. Oh my god, yeah, it would. So... At the Dream Lab, Andy and Daryl show up to talk to the Dream Sorcerer, although they don't know he's the Dream Sorcerer, they just think he's a scientist whose girlfriend died. Yes, apparently she broke up with him and he had a car accident and that's how he ended up in the wheelchair. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff happening in this episode. Didn't that also happen to someone in Heroes? Did that happen in Heroes? I don't remember. But, yeah. Yeah, the senator's wife. Remember she found out that, uh, or that guy who could fly and he was the naked lawyer in that show that didn't last very long? You know, the naked lawyer who lived in a box because he was abused as a kid? And it was supposed to tie into Angel? The flying guy from Heroes. Okay, I remember that there was a car accident now and that the guy flew out of the car and that's why he lived. Yeah. Well, his wife lived too. She was just in a wheelchair. Right. Although that's not what happened here. I mean, what happened here is... She dumped him while they were in a car and he was so upset that he crashed the car. I've been, I, I haven't wanted to say this because I don't want it to sound victim-blaming because I'm not victim-blaming at all. This guy is, is, is trash and he's like the worst incel meme of a guy. Mm-hmm. But don't break up with someone or have a heavy conversation with them when you're trapped in a car with them. Really? I've, I've typically... Wait, no. Heavy conversations are good. But don't... You're going to break up with them, and then what? You're trapped in the same small space with them for the next 15 minutes while you get to your destination? Yeah. Uh, best case scenario. Best case scenario. Worst case scenario, he tries to drive off the road and kills you both. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just... This is just life advice. Don't break up with someone when they're driving. Yes. Wait till you get where you're going. I mean, I, I guess I understand the thing. Like, he can't... No, you know what? No, it's just a bad idea. Yeah. So. Also, I we've seen this. I've seen this episode so many times now. But 
I'm still not sure if he's wearing a Howie coat or not. Yeah. I'm not sure if he's wearing one of those 1940s mad scientist lab coats or if he's just wearing a white turtleneck or like like white mock turtlenecked pajamas. <laughs> so they ask him where he was when the waitress got smooshed and he's like, I was in my dream lab strapped into my dream machine. Definitely not killing anyone with dream powers. And then he does the thing where... They ask him if he has an alibi, and he's like, yeah, all of the technicians and all of the data I gathered that night. Do you need to see it? And Daryl's like, no, that's fine. I hate when cops do that on TV. They would still talk to the witnesses. Yeah, also, because there's a great episode of Law & Order SVU. Actually, I don't remember how the episode was, but uh, there's an episode of Law & Order SVU where a witness says, oh, you can ask so-and-so about my whereabouts, and they're like, yeah, we'll do that. But for the rest of the case, they're treating it like they do have an alibi. And then they eventually get around to talking to the witness and they find out that he doesn't actually have an alibi. Exactly! Yeah, confirm the alibi. Oh, I I think she was like out of town or something or they couldn't find her until that point. Right, right, right. But here, like, Daryl, no, you still have to talk to the lab techs. Also, what does the rest of the lab think this guy's doing? Like... What data is he gathering from going into these women's dreams and murdering them? Is no one else picking up on the fact that that's what he's doing with these dream machines? I mean, that is its own question. That's true. Maybe he works for the Rossum Corporation. Mm. (laughs) So back at Quake, Piper is on her dinner date with Jack, and she is telling him all of the worst things about herself that she can think of. Uh, She's telling him her worst diarrhea stories and... Okay, the thing is, though, the things she, none of the things she says are that bad. She's like, I have so much anxiety, and I have ulcers. And he's like... It's the 90s. Who doesn't have IBS? He says it's the 90s. Who doesn't have an ulcer? I mean, this is my point. The things she's saying aren't that bad. Yeah. He's like, we all have ulcers in the 90s, the decade which it currently is. Yeah, 90s watch. Right? And then she's like, um, I have a tattoo. And it's like, well, yeah, okay. Remember that, uh, remember that thing I did where I redid a bunch of, uh, I didn't redo, I took the dialogue from a bunch of croc comics and put them with X-Men to see if it made them less bizarre and surreal. I don't remember that, but go on. No, that was it, because all of them are based off of this weird, I don't know, view of the world based off stuff that hasn't existed in a really long time. Like the idea that a guy would be turned off by a woman having tattoos? Yeah, well, in that, it's this guy's this guy's trying to pick up a girl at a bar, and he's like, what do you do? And she's like, I'm out on parole, and that's the punchline. Punch oh. And he's like, how's that a punchline? Or this one where a kid asks a camel if the hump on his back is a boombox in a strip that came out in 2011. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just saw a plugger strip from last week where they were... Oh, God. Where the plugger in question was horrified that a kid had baggy pants that exposed his underwear. Like, that's been a thing for almost three decades at this point. Yes, of course, I saw this on Comics Curmudgeon. And and Josh pointed out on Comics Curmudgeon that that trope is so old that the plugger in question could presumably have been a teenager when it was a thing. I mean, to be fair to Croc, it's a comic strip that has been coming out with new strips six years after the creator died. So it's presumably just being written by some sort of horrifying algorithm at this point. I I, I fed a thousand croc strips into a computer. This is what it came out with. Uh. Yeah. 
at Quake, Piper is looking around upset at her inability to scare off a guy. And well, her tattoo, she's like, do you want to see my tattoo? And he's like, do you want to see mine? Uh... In the 90s, tattoos weren't something that marked you as a dangerous person anymore, were they? No, in fact, I'm pretty sure that by the end of the series, Holymerd Combs actually has a tattoo. I know that Alyssa Milano has one. Yeah, they all get those wrist tattoos and st- stuff. Yeah, like... I mean, Angel's gonna come out in a few years, and Cordelia's got the wrist tattoo. Yeah, and... I mean, I know, not in-universe, but Alyssa Milano had a back tattoo that they had to really poorly cover up when she was wearing that backless shirt. Okay, so I don't think it's covered up poorly. I think it's the high-def video that we have now makes it poorly covered up. But uh, yeah, yeah, Alyssa Milano's got a tattoo. Like, it's not that unusual of a thing. It's, yeah. I mean, I know Faith had a tattoo to show she was dangerous, but Faith was also, like, canonically 16. Yeah. So... It's different. Yeah, it's different. It's to show that she's lived a hard life up to this point. Which, it's it's weird to think about the stories that Faith is telling the Scoopies as taking place when she was a 15-year-old. Like, she was a slayer for at most a few months. Not even a 15-year-old. Like, all of the stories that she's telling the Scoopies when she first comes to town are things that have either happened before she was a slayer or within the first few months of her slayerhood. Faith is one of those things where when you're a teenager and you're hanging out with her, you're like, this girl is so cool, like a, like Rayanne from My So-Called Life. Mm. And then when you're an adult and you see 15 and 16-year-olds through, like, adult eyes, you're like, that poor child. Yeah, Faith's coolness is really just, hey, this is someone who's had an aggressively abusive life. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, that was the deal with Rayanne, too. God, poor Faith. But, yeah. Buffy, uh, you had a whole extra room in your house, we're assuming, because Dawn. Oh, let's not get into Faith, because I could go off on Faith for a while and how the Scoobies failed her. Hmm. But. Isn't it cool how she lives in a motel and no one cares if she lives or dies? Yeah. Isn't it weird how the only person who ever shows her any compassion or concern is the mayor, and then somehow she decides to run off and be his henchman? Say what you will about the mayor, but... He he took care of Faith. Yeah. He even had a contingency plan for if he died to take care of Faith in the new world. Yeah. Anyway, but charmed. At Quake, Piper is unable to scare off this guy with talks about tattoos. And also, lots of other guys are, like, making creepy eye contact with her and, like, making insinuations towards her. It's not good. No. In the dream lab, the dream sorcerer decides that... He's going to dream get into the dream machine. Yeah, he's going to get into the dream machine twice as hard. He tells his lab techs that he needs them to put twice as much dream juice in him as they usually do for dream reasons. Set the dream inducement system to 12. And he's and the guy's like, 12? And he's like, I'm going to go in hard. I'm going to go in deep. This is my grant. This is my experiment. Set up the machine. Give me the shot. Okay, it is a good question, though, like, what they think he's doing. Also, you can't just double the dosage out of, Like, are you keeping rec... Is this a science lab or not? I, I would like it if they cut to the control guy who's just sleeping in a chair. <laughs> oh. What do the other people think he's doing? How did he get the grant money for this? No, this is what, this is what I'm saying. Rossum Corporation. Mm. So, speaking of people sleeping in chairs, we cut to Prue having fallen asleep at her desk. And the dream sorcerer is there in her office now, her dream office. And he's like, 
uh, look, your office is suddenly on a roof and you can't move even though you're a witch because I'm God here. I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. Blah, 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 blah. He's like, I've got techno powers or something. Uh, Prue, before he starts pushing her in her chair towards the edge of the roof, manages to grab a letter opener off of her desk and she's fighting back. She's not like, oh, what are you doing? She's like screaming at him. She stabs him in the hand. She stabs him in the hand with the letter opener. And he gets enraged and starts to tip her off the roof when her phone rings at her desk and wakes her up. So really convenient, like, happenstance is the hero of this episode. Seriously. Well, and the phone was just Andy just calling to see what was up, which is a weird call to make. So Andy must have had some sort of inclination, right? Like some sort of... Psychic connection warning him of a... Yeah, that Prue was in danger. So... I do like the fact that one of the things that inspires Prue to strike out at the dream sorcerer is him threatening Piper and Phoebe. Yeah. He's like, who's going to protect them after you're gone? And, you know, she stabs him. Andy calls. She wakes up. Rex comes into the room and she, you know, almost stabs him, which... Hey, he startled her. He did. And she sees that she has the dream sorcerer's blood on her hand. Yes, which is cool. Rex has no follow-up questions, which is fair because he's, you know... A demon in disguise. You Spoilers. Know, vaguely speaking of that, we haven't seen Leo since he was introduced. I know, right? Like, he's going to be such a big part of the show, and they introduced him like two episodes ago, and then just nothing. I I don't know what to say. I mean, let's enjoy this Leo-less respite. <laughs> I don't have the same issues with Leo that you have. Ugh, he, he just annoys me, honestly. Mm. He's like... The guy that there's nothing wrong with, but he's kind of annoying and he's dating your best friend. So, like, you have to hang out with him and you don't want to trash talk him because your best friend is dating him. But it's like, ugh, this guy again. Speaking of this guy again, Andy. Yeah, back in the station, Andy is telling Daryl his theory that Whitaker is using dream leaping to leap into the dreams of women who have rejected him and kill them in their dreams, thus killing them in real life. I feel so bad for Daryl because the only thing he gets to do in season one is go, but Andy, that's clearly bullshit. People can't just jump into other people's dreams. And Andy, and Andy's like, or wasn't they? Well, okay, in fairness to Andy, like, apparently that's what Whitaker's telling people his research is. Like, that his, his research is the ability to jump into other people's dreams. So, I mean... Yeah. Yeah, Daryl's like, I mean... Okay, I guess. Sure. Like, he says, I'd like to tell you that that's stupid, but we don't have anything better, so, eh. Yeah. Back at the, back at Hallowell Manor, Phoebe comes home, and the house is filled with flowers and chocolates that have been delivered from everyone. Any man who has ever seen Piper or Phoebe has now sent them flowers and chocolates. Which is creepy. Yeah. So... Phoebe talks about how she knows that the flowers in here that are for her are not from Hans because Hans can't let go of her. He can't be away from her. He needs to cut her open and crawl inside her and wear her like a person suit. He physically wouldn't stop touching her, so she ditched him, which I know Phoebe's the one who is doing the bad things here with the spells, but that's creepy too. Yeah. In his defense. 
He's under a spell. Yeah, it's literally magic, as we will find out when he bursts into the room. Yeah. Which they'll find which they'll find out when he bursts into the room. Mm-hmm. But not yet. First, uh even Kit is having issues. Yeah, there's a bunch of tomcats outside trying to get to Kit, who is in heat, except I think this is just an after effect of Kit being in the room when they cast the spell, right? Yeah, that that would be why Kit was in the room, which is a good use of Kit. Yeah, yeah. So they get a call from Prue, and Prue's like, Hey, so I know you were blowing me off before, but uh, that guy came back and tried to kill me in my dreams again, and you've seen Nightmare on Elm Street, right? Because it's a Nightmare on Elm Street situation. I'm going to drive home. I need you to look in the Book of Shadows and see if you can find anything on this guy, which is good i mean she's like he calls himself the dream sorcerer so maybe it's a book of shadows thing yep upstairs phoebe is going through the book of shadows but she is finding nothing there is nothing about a dream sorcerer which is which makes sense because he's not a demon he's a human who's using tech okay which i really like i think i mentioned really early on in the show that i wish the show had more human villains and it does feel like that's more of a thing in the early bits even last episode Sure, we had the whole Yama thing, but the main big bad was a human mobster. Yeah, I, I like it when they have to fight human villains as well. Yeah. So, Prue is dry, so they're like, we can't find anything here. The important thing is to keep Prue awake. And Prue calls because she's on the road and she's falling asleep at the wheel. And so she needs them to keep her awake while she drives home. I like that Piper's like entirely in on this now like she had her doubting thomas scene earlier but now she's like no this is a real thing we need to help you out with yeah i love that phoebe jumps in and is like oh oh you've been partying or in your case working too late and now you need to stay awake while you drive home this is my forte (laughs) she's like turn up the ac roll down the windows crank the music and then before they can really help her anymore Hans starts banging on the door to be let in because he can't be kept away from Phoebe. Yes, he did go home to throw on a plaid overshirt over his white uh, t-shirt. Yes. And he's like, he bursts into the house and he's like, I can't, I can't eat, I can't sleep. All I can do is think about you and being with you. It's like you've... You're living inside my brain grapes. So now, I mean, no more questions. The spell clearly takes away people's consent. Yeah, this is going full of that one episode of Buffy. So he tries to throw flowers at her. Well, he just picks up the nearest thing, which is a vase of flowers that's been delivered, and he tosses it at her, but Piper freezes them. And unfortunately, while this was all going down, Prue didn't have anyone talking to her, and she fell asleep at the wheel. What? I mean, I don't see how Phoebe and Piper would have stopped that from happening. Oh, I'm not blaming them, but, like, it happened because... I mean, honestly, I would have think thought that her sister suddenly disappearing mid-phone call would have given her a shot of adrenaline. Right? But, but instead, she got in a car accident. Yeah, she fell asleep, she crashed the car, and now she is... Unconscious? Yeah, well, she's... 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 Yeah, I'm unclear if she's unconscious because she just fell asleep or from the car accident. I have to think it has to be the car accident because otherwise I feel like that, as you said, would have given her a shot of adrenaline. Yeah, so she is still kind of awake, though. She's, like, lying in the wreckage of her car and she's muttering, can't fall asleep, can't fall asleep. Yeah, in fact, we next cut to a hospital and the nurse declares that she is semi-conscious. Which, you know, she's still saying, must stay awake, must stay awake. 
which she should because concussions are bad. She's at a hospital, though. I think it's okay to fall asleep if you have a concussion once you're at the hospital and they're monitoring you. Hmm. Yeah. So So they're getting her onto the bed. They're doing all the doctory stuff to her. Uh, just so we know exactly the moment when she loses consciousness. Yes, a nurse declares, damn, she's unconscious. And then we cut to her on the rooftop, the shadowy orange lit rooftop, except in the on the hospital gurney. So the dream sorcerer's like, oh, you fell asleep while driving. Naughty, naughty. I guess I'm going to have to kill you. And she takes out a dream phone and starts dialing it. Yeah, she's got her cell phone with her. I feel like if I was a, if I was unconscious and I was in some sort of astral state, my phone would also be near me. Point. Fair. So he offers her a little wine with her death, which, oh my god, dude, you came up with this whole thing. You couldn't come up with better lines. Right? Back at the dream lab, Andy is insisting that Whitaker be woken up. Even though the lab techs are like, no, he'll get the dream bends. Whatever yeah. the dream version of the bends are. I don't get how Andy doesn't end up being held responsible for this guy's death. He's a cop. Okay, fair. But I would, if I was the dream tech people, I would assume that Andy trying to force them to wake him up is what killed him. Instead of Prue using her magic powers to telekinetically throw him off a roof in her dream. Which is what's about to happen. Yeah. So... It's weird to me that Andy, like, knows so certainly that this is happening right now. It's not like a woman dies every time he goes under. Hmm. Yeah. Or is it? I, I, I don't know. No, they say there's only three deaths so far, right? I don't remember how many deaths there are. I think there's... I think there were three women other than Sky, so four deaths so far, yeah. Yeah. So presumably he hasn't just been murdering a woman ever you think that's why he's doing like he's like okay i have to flirt with women who will reject me so i can kill them using my dream powers i mean maybe he is killing a woman every night maybe he's maybe he only started this experiment a few nights ago or maybe he only goes under like once a week i don't know Mm. but the lab tech is putting the chemicals in that will wake him up and meanwhile andy is banging on the glass like wake up wake up which transfers over to the dream state prue hears him Prue hears Andy shouting, wake up. And she also hears her sisters who are at her bedside. Mm, who are fondling her, which I don't think, or they're, they're rubbing her head, which I don't think is the sort of thing you should do to someone who was just in a car accident, but eh. It's fine. It's fine, but he's like, you're mine. But the dream sorcerer is like, you're mine now, Prue, and I'm going to throw you off this roof. There's nothing you or your magical sisters can do to stop me using magic or whatever. And... Piper and Phoebe are having a conversation over her about how scared they are and what are they going to do. And it's just a giant flash forward to their Grey's Anatomy appearance. Yeah, yeah. But they tell uh, they tell Prue that she can't leave them yet, that she has to fight, and that she has to use her power to come back to them. Yeah, there there's a big, you know, use your power, don't give up thing, which is effective. I mean, that makes sense to me. Um... They, you know, in the logic of the dream, he, the dream sorcerer, has convinced her that he has the ultimate power and that she can't use her Her power. Her power. But, you know, it's her dream, too. And so she realizes, wait, I also have some degree of power in my dream. I don't have to be beholden to the person who tells me they're in control. And she summons her powers and telekinetically 
throws him off the roof. Uh, the dream sorcerer tells her, say goodnight. And she's like, goodnight. And she tosses him off the roof. Yeah. Uh, and then in the lab, Andy and Daryl and all the techs see him like... Flatline? Yeah, they see him die. They see him crash... How do they not assume Andy's responsible for it? I mean, you know, to be fair, the dream techs know that they gave him twice as much of the drug as they were supposed to. Hmm. So, meanwhile, Prue wakes up and she's like, well, just killed a regular human guy, so that's a thing. Yeah. And then we cut to the next day when the sisters are bringing her all of the flowers that they have received from their various suitors. Yeah. And Prue's like, please tell me I can get out of the hospital and go back to work. And they're like, nope. Uh, you have to stay here one more day and recover, and, you know, how'd, how'd your subplot wrap up? And they're like, we reversed the spell, turns out love doesn't come from magic, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we, re- we reversed the spell off screen. Don't worry about it. It's fine. I mean, to be fair, they said when they cast it that the spell had a function Out. where you could reverse it whenever you wanted. Which is good. Also, apparently the guys don't remember. Yeah, that's not great. That That's... I know, right? It's a whole fountain of badness. Speaking of unmemorable guys. Andy. Yeah, Andy shows up with a single rose, which is... over, Which is so overdone by all of the other flowers in the room. Also, he's wearing a black turtleneck. It's such a bad look. Yeah, it's not a good look for him. It looks like if someone never stopped a theater kid. Yes. But he did bring Prue a burger and fries, which is nice. He also says, I'm glad to see you didn't break every bone in your body. And she's like, what? And he's like, don't worry about it. She's like, oh, you mean when I crashed my car? And he's like, yes, when you crashed your car. But what a weird thing to say when you were just, like, running a case with a bunch of women who... Died mysteriously from getting... Every bone in their body broken. Like... This implies that he knows that Prue was the intended victim of the dream sorcerer, but we don't know that. Yeah, I... So we end this episode with more questions than answers. Yeah, also, Prue's like, you guys told Andy? Which, why would they not have told Andy? Yeah. (sighs) Okay, so this episode is weird because there are a lot of independent pieces that work really well but the whole episode is just kind of a mess yeah okay so you know the stuff with all the sisters bonding is great it's a great example of my favorite thing which is the sister dynamic the stuff with the dream sorcerer is genuinely creepy like he's far creepier than the gentleman i I just well it's because he's more realistically creepy than the gentleman yeah that's probably true the gentlemen are freaky as all get out but this is a guy you could actually meet in real life yeah hopefully you could never meet hopefully you could never meet the gentleman in real life hopefully you don't meet this guy in real life but yeah you yeah. absolutely could the scenes in the dream world are well shot like there there are a lot of great elements the script is sharp i don't know why it doesn't work I mean, the only sour element is the guy not being a good actor, and that really doesn't feel like it's enough to kill the episode. And yet, here we are. So, our segments. Let's do our segments. Premonition. So, much like Phoebe had no premonitions this episode, there are no... There there are no stand-outedly famous people in this episode. Yeah, you might recognize the dream sorcerer as 
background vampire from Blade or different background vampire from Blade 2. Jack, the generically cute guy that Piper hooks up with. Mm -hmm. uh, I just want to bring it up because he's credited as Alex Mendoza, but the actor actually goes by Zeus Mendoza. Oh, dang. And he's not anyone you would recognize, but he was, he did have a bit part in Passengers, which also has a creepy consent questioning storyline. Oh, yes, the, the yeah. Chris Pratt, Jennifer Lawrence movie where, yeah. Yeah, where he dooms a woman so he has someone to be with. Yep. Yep. Ugh. All right, so Time Freeze, what specifically dated this episode? I had a few, so why don't you go first? Okay, for uh, my first ones are going to be the pickup lines the guys tried to use on Phoebe in the bar. Oh my god, those were terrible. Which I think were probably dated at that point. But it seems like the kind of dated jokes that you would talk about in the 90s. And also, obviously, the line, you know, it's the 90s, everyone has an ulcer. I feel like I haven't heard anyone talk about ulcers in a really long time. It is a very 90s specific injury. I also feel like the idea, the urban legend, the if you die in the dream, you die in real life was also a very 90s thing. Mm. So... I'm going to put that as my 90s thing. All right. And the last power in our pack, telekinesis. What genuinely moved you this episode? Um, for me, it was the scene where the sisters are casting the love spell. Yeah, it's a great scene, and you can really feel the connection between the two of them. It's, it feels like the way sisters talk. It does. It is a really realistic portrayal of people who've known each other for a very long time and are very comfortable with each other. Did you see that post that was going around Tumblr where it was just showing uh, behaviors that both Gina and Jake had in uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine? And they're like, it's a really subtly worked into the script thing where in different episodes they mirror the behaviors that each character has shown. So Since you... they grew up together. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see that, but that's interesting. And I mean, Michael Schur Michael Schur is just so good. Yeah. So I think that'll about do it for this episode. I think so. Next week's episode... I think so. The next episode we're doing is Wedding from Hell. Okay, I remember this fondly, even though it is a super, super bad episode. Like, but it's fun bad. It's really campy 90s fantasy sci-fi fun bad. Okay, I'm excited to talk about it then. The Netflix description is... With Phoebe's help, Piper caters a wedding and discovers that the groom is under a spell that was cast by the bride. I also know they care about consent. This is, there's actually a major scene in the opening credits that is from... Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. So I guess that's it for this week's episode of Welcome to Hallowell Manor. Welcome to Hallowell Manor is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of our supporters, you should head over to our website www.welcometotelevision.net and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, and Benjamin. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode or any episode or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I love television zines at gmail.com or at I love TV zines on Twitter. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Hallowell Manor. Bye.